Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Here for uh, another episode of the Church Planner Podcast. I was actually going to say what number it was, but I have no idea what number it is because it's part of our 30-minute no. uh, series. Okay, this is a Church Planner Podcast number I don't know. Number I don't know. It's a good number. It works well. It hey, uh, why don't you tell everyone about our guest because we've got a really, really in-depth talk topic that we need to get to. So, And an important uh, soundbite that we need to play after I talk about introducing him. I don't think I can play that soundbite. Can I get an amen? That's that's as good as you're getting today. That's a wrong one. Hey, okay, so I got uh, a friend of mine on here. He's a guy named Adam Statmiller. Uh, he's a buddy of mine. He lives not too far down the road from me. Uh, he is a writer for Leadership Journal. He's a local pastor, and he's a multiple book writing author. He is currently working on his third book. It's about prayer. He's going to share a little bit about that. His first book was called Giving Your Kids the Keys. It is a phenomenal book. It's about spiritual gifts in your kids and empowering them at a very young age to actually be Christians and uh, highly recommend it. But anyways, uh, very, very cool to have Adam on here. Adam, welcome on to the Church Planner Podcast. Yeah, super, super honored to be here. And uh, let me just start by saying to all your listeners that like I so respect, as a guy that's like, not in a church planting, like the exact opposite in a, in a big church with sharpened pencils in the uh, supply room, um, <laughs> way different. Um, I just want to say, like, I just want to honor you guys and say you are rad. You're the front lines. And uh, God bless you guys. I pray for you. And I might be one of you again someday. So uh, I'm up for it if I need it. But nonetheless, I'm, just wanted I'm to say that. I'm hoping that we can recruit you one day into the sphere of church planting and you will become our secret weapon. Yeah, right. You know, it's funny when at the church I work at now, I had been working, I'd been working for Christian surfers, raising my own support. So I understand kind of the front lines thing. And we've been there for in Australia as missionaries. And I got back at my first day on the job at this like 
super church I go, I work at now at the moment. Um, I walked in and they literally had five, they had a supply room and they had 500 two lead and then the other leads. I don't know what the other leads are. Is there one lead, three lead? And all 500 of them were in these stacked um, columns and every pencil was sharpened. Like wow. somebody had come in and person, and I knew, <laughs> oh my goodness. And then the copy machine looked like a Volkswagen. So I knew that things had shifted and I've always tried to keep the edge, but it's really hard to keep the edge when someone sharpens your pencils for you. So, um, Man. yeah. So anybody, who, if you guys want to do some kind of contest and they want to send a box of pencils just to, to pay it forward, I will sharpen the pencils for all your church planners and I will send them back a box of sharpened pencils. That's awesome. All right, man. You heard it here on the Church Planner Podcast. You know, we're looking to alleviate you guys of all admin as possible. You need to not be right. waiting on tables or sharpening pencils. Adam Statmiller is your man. Right. To sharpen the pencils <laughs> yeah. for you. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. So, Adam, you your book, uh, it's got a really unique title. Um, it, uh, it's not out till October, so we're not going to talk so much about the book. 2014. Yeah, a long yeah. time. Exactly. And, they, and so we're going to talk a little bit more, and I know this is a, a topic close to your heart, not because you're an expert in it, as you point out, but because you just felt kind of hijacked by the Holy Spirit. You were on another writing project, and uh, you just felt the Holy Spirit tap you and say, uh, hey, mind if I cut in here, pal? And uh, next thing you know, you're writing this. And when you were sharing this topic with me, I'm like, dude, that book needs to be written. And that is something nobody's saying. So uh, anyways, hey man, tell us a little bit about the whole concept behind it and the story uh, behind the book. Yeah, well, I would say first of all, if if prayer had a Rudy, you know the movie Rudy, yeah. um, that that's me. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm a, I'm such a water boy, and uh, in no way claim to be a prayer expert. Uh, like you said, I don't believe that there are experts in prayer. I just think that we can experience prayer and, um, you know, people that get really good at it, they, they turn into statues in your yard. So like Francis of Assisi is really good at it. So I think the hope is one day that you'll be able to buy me at home Depot, um, you know, to put in your yard and be a perch for birds. And that's when you know, you've reached it. Dude, man, um, I'm, I'm, you have me at water boy. How quiet would you pray? (laughs) Well, the uh, the book's going to be called "Praying for Your Elephant," and it goes back to an answered <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it goes back to an answered uh, prayer that God gave me in 2001. Uh, that was actually the um, kind of a final prayer that was answered in a season of answered prayer. I think I go through. I don't really believe in in answers as much as I believe that God responds to prayer. I think that when, you know, these, uh, if we believe that God has this monosyllabic, uh, you know, yes, no, and wait, I think we're really limiting God, that he responds in all sorts of ways, like emotions. There's a, there's a, a buffet. We ask for perhaps a cheeseburger and God leads us to a buffet. Mm-hmm. So perhaps some of you guys remember, you know, you've prayed for something and then God, you know, six years later, you see answers that are directly related to, but not exactly what you prayed for. And so there's this like, I call this the tailwind of prayer. It's like when you're flying to England, you got that tailwind. It's like four hours soon. You know, you get there, you know, two or three hours sooner than when you're flying against, you know, the wind there. And so um, it was 2001 and I was in Thailand and I was laying on the floor, this cold marble floor, but it was a hot Thailand night in the middle of July, 38 junior high and senior high students in Thailand. We'd been there three weeks. We'd been to Hong Kong. God had moved in like crazy third world power. We had been in the the slums and uh, it had been amazing. And, and if you take 38 
junior high and senior high students to um, Thailand. And Dude, that's I, I more dare bold you. than all, church planning. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you guys, it, until you've done that, like, you know, that's that's frontline stuff there. And especially when this is before Red Bull had come out, but yet they had Red Bull there. <laughs> and all the kids in my group were buying these little vials oh. at 7-Eleven. And they were pouring them into their Mountain Dew because if you've been to Thailand, there's a there's a 7-Eleven on every corner. And so I had all these hyped up kids. <laughs> um, so nonetheless, we're there and I'm laying on the floor and I had given my notice a week before the trip. I'd been there three or four years. The church, the, the year after I got there, had gone through this crazy, ugly, protracted split that was nasty. And I was there and the youth group was like this little sanctuary. We had grown as the church had dropped in attendance. The youth group had grown. I had a million conversations with parents. I'm sure a lot of your listeners understand this of like, Hey, we're going to leave the church, but we're going to leave our kid with you. Hmm. So can you protect and watch over our kid? And so it was pretty amazing. And, um, I'm there and I'm on the floor and I'm praying to God, God, you need to confirm this thing. You need to just, I just need to know that I'm making the right decision. You know, there's guilt. There's like, you know, survivor guilt, (laughs) you know, and then, you know, you're, you're getting off the Island finally. And I just didn't know if it was the right thing. I had a kind of a piece, but I wasn't sure. And all of a sudden, I'm, I hear this kid yell, there's an elephant in the courtyard. There's an elephant in the courtyard. And I'm like, an el- what? And I, I get up, and all the kids start wrestling, and they run out into the courtyard. And we're at this church and down an, old, an alley. And sure enough, I walk out, and there's this guy out there with a full, you know, a real-life pachyderm. On a, if you've been to Thailand or in Asia, they have, like, strings that they put around the the elephant's neck, like you, like it wouldn't hold a chihuahua, you know, mm. it's like a string and then they have a stick and I don't know why the elephant obeys, but there it is. And all the kids gather around. It's a full moon night. It is piping hot. And we're like amazed that there's this elephant. All the kids are petting. I've never touched an elephant at this point. And I go out and I stand in front of the elephant and I put my hand up. The elephant puts its nose, its wet trunk up, its nose, and I put my hand and I touch the elephant's nose. And all of a sudden, I feel the presence of God just like hit me. You know what I mean? I'm like, whoa. Mm. And I get this thought, hey, there's your elephant. And, and, and in order that, that makes sense, I got I to gotta go back. I got to rewind four years. Four years earlier, on the first day I was at that church, a guy named Big Al Merriman and I had gotten together to start praying for the youth group. And it was a 5.30. It was the first day I'd been there. We got there at 5.30 in the morning. We had committed to a month of 5.30 a.m. prayer. We ended up doing mm. three days of it. Like most things in my prayer life, like when I hear the sermon, I have all this romantic engagement with the idea of prayer, the disciplines of prayer. But when it comes to like actually kind of carving out uh, the time in my calendar to, you know, that the thieves of distraction want to, to take from me. Uh, it just doesn't happen. And so we did it for three days, but we, the first day there at the end of the prayer time, big and Al and I were leaving and Al said, Hey, we got to pray for the elephant. And earlier in the week, Al and I had gotten this catalog in the mail for youth groups and said, Hey, if you want to have an elephant come to your youth group for $2,500, an elephant will come. And we were like, dude, that's the coolest thing in the world. Like, if you could have an elephant or a lion, like one or the other, like, you know, can come and like be there. It would be the most epic thing ever. Man, that that's so, awesome. 2,500 bucks back then for our listeners. That was like unattainable. Right. I know it, this it, it was, because I remember that was the price to get the altar boys to come and play. If anyone remembers who the altar boys were, I just remember thinking, yeah, that's so never completely, completely out of our reach. And it was literally, and here's the interesting thing is it was a joke. Like we're leaving the room on the first night and Al says, let's pray for the elephant. And as a joke, we grab hands, we're standing there. We go, God, bring an elephant to our youth group. We never prayed it again. I never hardly ever thought about it again. 
And in that season of four years, God began to teach me about this idea of asking prayer. And, you know, we can talk about that a little bit later in the podcast, but all that to say that when the elephant showed up, like, and I, and, and, and God brought that thought to me, reminded me, ever prayed for something and forgotten about it. Mm. All of a sudden it was like, you know, it was three days before we got home. I was going to, it was my last few days at the church and God just put this massive bow. It was so extravagant of God to like, like to bring an elephant, you know, to, and, and to remind me of something I had completely forgot about that had been the genesis of what we had started praying for as a joke. And God answers it in a way that completely brought peace, that completely showed me what his nature is, that completely just showed me that, you know, that God has enough margin to answer the prayers for, you know, the plight of orphans in the world and to, to bring elephants to a youth group, uh, you know, in Thailand that, that it doesn't need to happen. It's just this extravagant thing. And so, it really kind of shattered my theology to tell you the truth, guys, that like, I wonder what is in bounds. Like what's really in bounds mm. when it comes to prayer, what's that's on the table. So yeah, yeah that's, that's where it came from. You, uh, you, you mentioned something, you know, it's kind of like your, uh, your whole approach is what aren't we asking God for? What, what is, what is it that we're not asking? Now we had a guest on yesterday. His name was Don Overstreet. Um, 48 years, a guy's been church playing, he's been frontline, he specializes in the inner city. Um, and the guy just admitted the whole time, I'm way out of my depth all the time. But when we asked him, what is the most important thing? He said prayer. And of course you see Paul, the apostle, right? Doing the impossible as he's taken the gospel as a, as a Jewish rabbi, um, to, you know, the, the, the Greek and Roman world. Um, that dude constantly saying, pray for me, but you you mention you know because I've I've been able to kind of track with you on your journey and read some of the book. I mean we're good buddies, so we pass stuff back and forth. But uh, one of the stories you give in your book is there's a little boy, um, and he goes to uh, to heaven and he sees a storeroom and and in the in the room is like boats and house and then he goes right. into another one. It's like eyeballs and feet and he asks yeah. that no one asked for. Right. Um, these are the things that people didn't ask for. And, and the book very much has um, that approach. Wouldn't you say when you when you say the central theme is kind of like, hey, you know, um, am I actually asking God? Am I am I? Yeah. It's kind of a challenge, isn't it? Well, yeah. And I mean, first of all, I, I fully admit that that story might be, you know, Christian urban legend. You know what I mean? Like there's, you know, um, but nonetheless, I think that the moral of the story is biblical. And so that's why I put it in the book. You know, it's this boy and he goes up there and he asked God, you know, like you said, what, what is this? And he sees all these things. He says, you know, you don't, these are things that people just have failed to ask for. And, and here's what I, I think we do too much as believers and something I really push in the book and on the podcast um, that I do. I do a, a podcast like this a few times a year, 40 day journeys into prayer that I don't think we need to edit our prayers. I think there's way too much editing of prayers. Um, I think we need to be careful when we're praying with people. Perhaps a woman that's had multiple miscarriages to speak the word of faith to her could really crush her. I think we need to be careful when we're with people. But when we're down and dirty with God, when we're alone with him, I think sky's the limit. I think we need to be, our job as believers is prayer creation. Like there's no limits in regard to prayer creation. To think up, to be as imaginative as we can in prayer. And, and you know, anything between, you know, my prayer, if it's going to have boundaries, um, I want it to be somewhere between God, hey, help me find my keys or my my iPhone today that I lost, and God, would you stop the sun or bring rains to a to a drought stricken land, you know? Because this is the margin 
you know, that I think God operates in. We have a tendency to to um, skinny down prayer and try not to really tick God off. And so, you know, a great example, I, when I preach this message on, you know, our job is prayer creation and we'll let God um, do the, di- you know, the editorial and the distribution responsibilities. But all we do is pray and create. I had a woman come up to me and um, she stopped me. She goes, Adam, I got to tell you, when you when you preached that message back in February, it released me to pray for something I was embarrassed to pray about. And I said, well, what's that? She goes, I've been wanting to take my family. She has a um, um, a daughter who has a mental um, um, disability and uh, she's eight. You know, and she goes, before both my kids get out of the house, she has a 12 year old and a 16 year old. We've always wanted to go to Europe and do a European cruise. And she says, it's huge. And I feel guilty about wanting to do that when there's people in the world that are starving. And, and, you know, so she said, I, after you said I should pray for it and let God deal with if he's going to do it or not, I prayed. She said three, you know, the trip was $6,000 and I felt guilty, but I forced myself to pray it. And she said, she came to me and she goes, I want, you to know, yesterday I went to the mailbox and there was a check for $6,000 in my mailbox. We had been part of a class action lawsuit we were unaware of. And I got this check in the mail. I had to get a lawyer to see if it, they were, someone was trying to dupe me. She goes, it cleared. Uh, the check is cleared or it's going to clear. And, um, you know, now sitting here, she took that trip with her family and had, you know, this this amazing time. And, and I don't think God um, I think he understands that wanting to take your kids to Disneyland while they're still five years old and your daughter enjoys princesses is is something that he delights in. He delights in elephants and he also wants to heal cancer and he also wants to make sure that, you know, the plight of the unborn is ended. He, you know, there's all this, but he has enough margin for both. And when we paltry down God. And we and we edit our prayer request. I think that we do ourselves in the church a disservice. Uh, once again, I think we need to do it in wisdom and community sometimes. But um, and you know, when we're alone with God, let it fly. Throw a right and a left. Let me let me just uh, say, you know, kind of one of the one of the things I respected about what you wrote is you're you're definitely skirting the middle road. You're not you're not going into the faith teaching. Uh, you know, heretical stuff. You're you're actually kind of taken back some of the uh, the biblical principles there, where it says like, "Hey, you have not because you ask not." And 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 what prayer always does is prayer takes us back to the character of God. You know, we look beyond the gift to the giver. And so, you know, I I, I think when you start looking at that, what it becomes to those people's testimonies, like, "Wow, God really cared for me." You know that right. even even the small things in my life and. And so, you know, we know like what the faith teachers do is they're like, hey, that, you know, your whole life should be Disneyland and it's all going to be Disneyland if you have right. faith. And and you steer clear of that. You've managed to kind of say, guys, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is uh, if if you're thinking about prayer is limited to only gospel work or, you know, the stuff that makes you suffer or the hardship then you are limiting God. This this God is the God who made uh, this incredible world. And and so I like that about it because, um, you know, you, you're opening up new territory. And one of the illustrations that you use on there, uh, you you liken prayer to space. And I, I told you this morning, so that is one of, one of the most profound illustrations I've, I've ever heard about prayer. It, it was so helpful to me personally. Um, can you can you kind of comment on that and give us the whole uh, illustration there? Well, I said I, I likened it to being lost in space, not just space. That whenever I go to prayer, I really wanted to lower the bar in regard to prayer. Like I said, this is this is a book for Rudy. You know what I mean? Like, if you are an expert in prayer, then there's a lot better people to listen to 
than than me. You know what I mean? I I want to I want to talk to the underdog. I want to talk to the person who tr- who struggles with getting a prayer time together. Um, that as soon as you sit down, you don't know what to do. You don't know where to start. I mean, my prayer times, you know, usually they're supposed to start, you know, in the morning and I sit down and before I know it, 15 minutes has passed and I've checked my email and the weather and a possible, you know, imaginary trip I wanted to take on orbits. And then I start trying to pray and I feel like I'm not praying right. So halfway through a sentence, I quit the sentence and I think, mm-hmm. well, you remember the acrostic acts? I got a adoration. Okay, well, I got to praise God first, right? Because there's these systems. And so I, I start trying to worship God, but I think gosh, this would be going a lot better if I had some music, right? And so next thing I know, I'm on iTunes, you know, and now I'm, now I'm downloading songs, right? And I'm buying songs and searching the category. <laughs> now my kids are knocking on the door. I've done no prayer. I walk away full of guilt. Yeah. And what I want to help people do is, um, yeah, to, to give them some tools for sure, um, but to help them understand that, that that prayer is like a vat, it's eternal and you can't become an expert in something that's eternal. Hmm. Uh, it's actually impossible to become an expert in eternality. And I think I might've made that word up, but I like it. So I'm going to use it. Um, but in this sense that we, you know, in the same way, like I talked about, you know, astronauts, people think yeah. that, you know, Neil Armstrong was, was an expert, but how can you be an expert in something that's, you know, um, limitless? I mean, all you have to do to debunk NASA's expertise is ask them where we are. They can tell you where we are in, re- in relation to the sun, but they have no clue as where we are in relation to the rest of the universe because they don't have any measuring points beyond what they understand. Mm. And, and, and so, that, and, and when yeah, you talked about that kind of being like a, an astronaut, I was like, man, because you know, you were saying, look, it, you know, astronauts aren't experts. They just toot toot. welcome to Carlsbad, ladies and gents. Uh, it, but but what you say is you say, look, you know, uh, they're not experts. They're just guys that have the experience. They're out in space. And the important thing is to get out in it. And, right. and I thought, yeah, that's so true. Like you're never going to master prayer. You're never going to. An astronaut's never going to be an expert in space, but he's out there. He's in it. But he has experience. And that's the thing that I say is like everyone can deepen their experience. Go to prayer with the idea to let's experience this. If, but if you don't show up. The thing is, you have to show up. And this is, you know, mm-hmm. one thing with Christ, and I put this in, in um, kind of in the early, I don't know if it'll, it'll make the edit or not, but this, this idea that Jesus was willing to be stolen from in the material realm. I mean, you don't put Judas in charge of your, you know, your purse at the time, you know, your, your little coin purse, um, unless you're willing, you know, you trust God with your material possessions. Jesus was willing to be stolen from. Um, but there was one thing that he would not allow you to steal from him, and that was time with his father. And so, you know, he'd be at these big events and all of a sudden they'd be like, where's Jesus? You know, like this would frustrate his handlers to no end. I mean, they would they would be so frustrated. Like, where's, like if you're going to build a platform for ministry, you don't bail when thousands of people are running and the crowd hasn't even, you know, maxed in size yet. But yeah, he would yeah. steal away and he would go spend time with God to experience relationship with his father. And granted, he gave us some tools gave us the Our Father prayer. He'd give us these little tools. But I think the biggest tool that he gave us was the habitual, customary, um, uh, you know, meetings that he did with his father. It was, it was habitual. It was customary. And he just showed up. And prayer, you know what prayer really is? It's showing up. That's the deal. And so once again, lowering the bar, not judging your prayer time. So those are just a few of the things that I'm 
Yeah, then I'm just trying to kick down the get the ball down the field to get people sitting in that leather chair down yeah. by the lake in your car at lunch, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty good at prayer, but Pete sucks at it. And uh, I know Pete's <laughs> yeah. finding this very helpful. Well, you know, I I actually um I I am finding it really helpful in a lot of ways because one of the thoughts that I've had go through my head a lot lately is if you look at the early church or and and really any time before you know Gutenberg and the fact that we had mass production of of books, ideas, however you want to define that, really the the way that people could communicate with God, the thing that anybody could do was prayer. Because you right. may not have a copy of the Bible, right? And in right. certain parts of the world today, you may not have a copy of the Bible, but you can still commune mm. with God. You can still talk to him. And I've just thought, you know, throughout all of history, that was the one thing that anybody could do. Anybody could pray. Anybody could spend time with God. And I think in a lot of ways today, I don't know how I say this without sounding like a heretic, we can spend so much time reading but no time with actually God. Right. And right. Um, I mean, Peyton it's, and I had this conversation. about God but not experiencing God is what you're saying. Much better. Thank you, uh, Pastor, <laughs> for coming up with the actual line. But but you know what I'm saying? Like. I, I was sharing with Peyton yesterday that I've got a buddy who's a uh, a theologian and he's not a believer, and it's just it's ironic to me that someone can know so much about the Bible and yet not know God. Right. Yeah. yeah. The um, well, I'm not sure I would. I mean, let me just think through this, Peyton. You, you I mean you're you're a pretty good scholar of Western civilization and history. I'm not sure people did feel like they could always pray. I think that, you know, growing up, um, I grew up Catholic and I, I'm, I'm still, um, I, my whole family back East is, is, is steeped in Catholicism. And I have, and I don't have negative things to say. I don't agree with everything, but I don't have negative things to say. But I know as a kid, I felt like I had to be, break through the barrier of the church's door before prayer really mattered. I had to, um, you know, talk to a co-petitioner uh, with my confession. Um, I think even as we look back at history, I think there have been barriers and I, and I don't think the, the playing field has really been level since the first century. And then, you know, by the second, by, you know, well, right away, you got um, Anthony going into the desert. You have the Essenes that are going out. And then all of a sudden you have these people that are praying all night. And then again, here's where you have that, those experts being set up. I think, I think Jesus tried to make prayer, you know, I think prayer is not, not only is it spiritually nuclear, but it's the lingua franca of heaven. It's the common language of heaven. Mm. And I think what the devil regularly wants to do is to create space and separation. Uh, and whether it be a mental lapse where you think that you're not good enough, because um, the devil has no influence on prayer. Once a prayer is prayed, um, you know, uh, Revelations tells us that it goes and it gets into that bowl before God and it burns uh, mm-hmm. before God in, uh, for eternity. All the prayers that have ever been prayed get into that bowl and they burn like incense before God. And, and God mm-hmm. adorns himself. If you want to know what God smells like, he smells like the prayer of the saints because if you've been around incense, it makes you smell like that. Yeah. And so that's why the devil's job is to keep us from praying because yeah. he know he can't hijack a prayer. Now we know that there's spiritual warfare as prayers get unleashed oh, as yeah. God responds. We see that in, in Daniel, and, you know, and in watch Gabriel. Him pray. Watch right. him pray that you fall in that. And then the Lord's prayer has uh, spiritual warfare hardwired into it as well. But we wow. have no evidence in scripture where the enemy can actually like grab a prayer, put it into his pocket and make sure it gets to heaven. And so his strategy is always to keep you from praying. Yeah. And so um, I don't know what you'd respond to about the, that barrier in Western civilization. I'm just not sure people have always felt the openness to pray, although I agree that it is, you well, know, it I, is the doorstep of Christian life. 
I, I think what Pete's saying is people, it, it's always there. I mean, even if you don't physically have a Bible in your hands, you can look up to heaven and pray. Even even the tax collector, right? Who's yeah. like, like Lieutenant Dan, how to the mast. Right. Yeah, even right. even though he's like, hey, man, I suck, you know, as a human being, not just at prayer. But Jesus, you know, he says, God heard that, dude. Like, it doesn't matter who he was, how sucky he was. He just from his heart. And I think in church planning, desperation often uh, becomes a fuel for prayer. I mean, I, I, I think most of us, when we really pray and really pray, we're desperate. There's that, that line in uh, Shadowlands where yeah. C.S. Lewis is is praying for uh, uh, Helen or Joy, um, and he says, you know, uh, as as the the vicar says to him as he's coming out of the church, the chapel, he says, uh, "Oh, you've prayed so much. God is bound to hear you now." And he just looks at him stunned and says, uh, "I don't, I don't pray that so that God would help Joy. I I pray because it helps me." And you know, I, I think sometimes what, what we fail to remember is that when, when it comes to prayer, um, there's, a, there's a mechanism there. We pray because we're desperate. When we think everything's cool, we're tempted not to pray. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, every church planner knows what it's like. like can I, he's can just I... going, God, please, you know, like, God, please make something happen. And we get desperate. And you hear that desperation coming through in Paul. Well, what could, I mean, I mean, two two things. One, um, just I wouldn't do this if I was on a radio program. I didn't know the person, but just because you're one of my closest friends, <laughs> new closest. You're not going to agree with me. I know. Yeah, well, here it comes. <laughs> I, no, I just I think like, I'm going to push back. No, I lo- I love the desperation. I want to get to that because that I am in agreement with. But you 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 set up your comments on desperation by saying when we pray, when we really pray, like all of a sudden you've put a wedge there. Because if I'm listening to this yeah. and I'm I'm thinking, oh well, what is? Gosh, I guess that little thing that I did in the parking lot today for 30 seconds, that's not really prayer. I mean, what no, do you mean you know, by like when you we? Know what really... I mean? There's going through the motions in there, and Jesus brings it. That's what I mean. I'm I'm drawing the dichotomy between just going through the motions of prayer, where Jesus says the Pharisees think that they'll be heard for their many words, and I think most of us come into prayer thinking if I spend an hour you know, doing, quote, quote, doing the quiet time. Right. Um, whereas, like, for me, when I first started learning to pray, um, where it wasn't just going, because I was disciplined, dude. I was like a Pharisee in my prayer. Um, it was out of desperation, and it was when I started church planning. I really feel that prayer changed for me because I walk out into a field, and I just, hey, God, I just need you to turn up, man. You know, right. boom. And it wasn't a big thing. It might just, my prayer might last 30 seconds, five minutes, but I I was sincere. I wasn't going through any emotions. I wasn't out to impress God. And even though the time was much shorter, I felt the potency was because of the genuineness was there. You know, it right. wasn't and hypocrisy. It, and it, it always comes down to, I think, a heart issue. Um, you know, in Daniel, um, when the angel Gabriel comes to him, I think it's Daniel 14, um, or 13, right in there. You'll find it if you look. It says that, um, you know, while you were still praying, I came, you know, the angel came in swift flight. He hadn't even finished the prayer yet. It was the intention of his heart. And what, what I'm saying is like, you know, you know, you did mention the idea of like, you know, when you, you're really pressing in on prayers that matter. Well, I prayed for an elephant, dude. And it was a joke. Like we literally prayed it as a joke. It was, and, and <laughs> this, I'm seriously, we didn't, 
like, like, yeah, we prayed for it. We wanted to see it happen, but like, we were making fun. It was like, and then all of a sudden, God, this elephant that God brought has changed my life. I mean, I'm doing a mm -hmm. podcast with you now. I'm leading 40 day podcasts multiple times a year. I've seen on our praying for your elephant Facebook page, you know, our, our you know, our, where we all pray together, hundreds of people now and seeing their lives change. This all came from a prayer that wasn't serious, that yeah. wasn't real, that wasn't like a, you know, that. And so I guess if I'm on a mission, it's going to be to say that all prayer prayed from believers with, you know, I guess with a heart of like, you know, God, you matter. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Where you're not in sin, like James says in those verses, like, hey, you don't get your prayers answered because you're adulterous and murderers. I don't think he's speaking to 99% of Christians. Um, people yeah. we tend, you know, I think there's things we can learn from that verse, but we tend to, if you look at who he's speaking to, I don't think he's talking to many of us. So I just want to like, whenever I hear that stuff, like, I just feel like my job, and I think it's part of our Christian language and I understand it, but I just want to, you know, and the Bible does speak about praying with fervor and these different ideas, but I'm just here to blow that up and to say, just pray. Just well, show I think, up. I think pray. what you're going for is what keeps people from praying. And in Jesus, uh, to echo what you're saying there, Jesus, uh, from what I see in the scripture, he does major on dealing with people's discouragement. Almost every single parable right. he tells and every lesson he has is to get people to not get discouraged. And I guess that's kind of what I'm saying is when I say really pray, what I mean is I wasn't going through motions. I was trying so hard to impress God and I just relaxed. Right. And that's what I hear coming through in your book is like, just, you know, just relax. Yeah. Just, just talk to them. It's, it's that simple. And, uh, and, and, and so what's coming out of your book is really helpful. It has, um, from what I've read so far, uh, it has a, um, very much. You mentioned a mission. You are trying to get people to pray and you're doing it the same way that Jesus said, you're trying to encourage them into prayer. And I think people, particularly on this subject, need encouragement. There's that one verse in Luke, uh, Luke 18, one, where it says, and then Jesus uh, taught men that they should always pray and never give up. Right. I love that, man. That is yeah. such, you know, because we all want to give up. Oh, I suck at right. this. Oh, you know, I'm not doing it right. Oh, I, you know, and Jesus just like, hey, man, you know what? If, if you are a child and you ask your, your father for something, he's, he hears you. And, yeah. uh, and that's what I hear coming off you, man. Can I, let's circle back to that desperation um, idea if we can. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the quotes I have that I wrote about was Abraham Lincoln. He says, um, I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and all that was about me seemed insufficient for the day. He has a desperation here. Obviously, this is during um, you know, the Civil War. Uh, and I love that he says I had nowhere else to go. My problem is with prayer is I've got too many places to go. I've got you know, a ministry to run. I've got kids to, to, to you know, um, hang out with and play with. I've got you know, a wife. I've got friends. I've got my stupid fantasy basketball league, you know, that I'm in all these things. And I think that desperation is when we get to a place, when we come to an understanding that when it comes to moving the ball down the field in our lives, in our ministry, that we're just desperation is, is maintaining an understanding that there's really nothing else that moves it forward like prayer. And part of prayer is the action that follows it, but it, but it is led by prayer. 
And so desperation is one of the super highways of the effectual nature of prayer. I think voluminous mm. asking is another one. And, and so I'm all about the whole Veruca salt out of Charlie and the Chocolate <laughs> Factory. Like, I want an Oompa Loompa Daddy, and I want it now, you know. And um, I don't think we have to have, you know, we should have that attitude. But she asked for everything she wanted. Yeah. And so voluminous prayer is a super highway, you know, and, and, yeah. and lack of prayer, not asking is a roadblock. And so, you know, I give this idea of roadblocks and super highways, fasting, humility, praying in community, um, you know, desperation. These are all things that unlock the effectual nature of prayer, yeah. uh, you know, and so I like that. What, what I love about the book before we close, and I want to thank you for coming on is that. Um, a lot of guys are coming out and, and we don't have a lot of really good works on prayer, believe it or not, that are modern. I'm sure you found that as you're doing your research. And when a guy does come out with a book, very oftentimes it's a formula. He's got some new formula, some new flashy. Right. Hey, check out my formula on prayer. This yeah. book, uh, just for you guys that are that are coming out with this, it's not that. And 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 what you're going to find is just what Adam said there. Those last couple sentences where he goes, "There's voluminous prayer. There's this. There's this. There's that." Um, my mind's just racing through all the scriptures where uh, Adam is a Bible man. He's 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 you know bleeds biblian blood like Spurgeon used to say. And uh, <laughs> so you're going to find a. Uh, a book that that is really helpful, but it's it's written to people where they're at, um, right. which is very much a part of the ministry that Adam has. And uh, I I just find talking with you on it refreshing. I always sense the Holy Spirit uh, yeah. when you're talking about this stuff. And I just let me can I um, I've circled the tower. Can I just come in for a landing on one thing? Because I do want to give you the secret key of prayer. Okay, <laughs> Go so and I know you just said in 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 thirty seconds for our broadcast. Thirty seconds. So we if prayer had a secret key, okay, that was like uh, off, you know, the, you know, Scotland on some, you know, Iona with the, you know, the monks are guarding this secret, okay, and it would be the thing that will change your prayer life. Let me tell you what it is. It's prayer, okay? It's actually praying. <laughs> praying is the secret key of prayer, all right? I dig you can it, fail man. at it. You can stink at it. If I have a, that, that is my formula, pray. That's you need to have a chapter in there's called the secret sauce and it needs the to just, sauce. it needs to just be this is the secret sauce just get, do I, it. get an amen yeah there you go so <laughs> all right hey, man I'll, I'll i'll let it go with that church church planners you know you are the reason we keep coming back to prayers because you are going to learn to pray i feel like uh when i'm training guys that i feel almost like the the drill sergeant who watches the young recruits come off you know off the bus with their hippie hair and he just grins at them while they're getting their heads shaved, thinking you're you're about to learn there, private, you maggot, you know. Um, yeah. You are about to learn prayer. And as Adam said, rightfully, the gateway is just going to be doing it. And desperation will probably drive you to it because you're about to be thrown completely in the deep end. And you will be out of your depth. And that will drive you to prayer. And hey, so I, uh, um, this is going to be some training wheels for you, some helpful uh, hints at it. And uh, anyways, Adam, thanks for coming on. Hey, uh, uh, Peyton, just one more thing before we, uh, and Pete, before we get off. Um, I just want to invite any of your listeners that want to, I lead a 40-day podcast. So you can find it on, uh, it's called Praying for Your Elephant on Facebook. I post it up there. Or you can find me, Adam Statmiller, uh, on Facebook, or just email me. I can send it to you. But if you want to be part of that 40-day journey, it's a 10-minute podcast every day for 40 days. And I lead you on how to um, kind of uh, add a uh, go through a, a prayer list of a hundred game changing prayers. So I'd love to invite your guys to be a part of it, your gals to be a part of it. And uh, you can, uh, like I said, uh, search uh, Facebook praying for your elephant. You'll find us. All right. Cool.
This has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you that if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you have to go where no one's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.